Yes, I wonder... I wonder how long it's taken to grow that size, eh? A hundred or two hundred years old? Doctor, if your mm. assumption was correct, and this is Vortis, what do you know of its history? History doesn't mean anything when you travel through space and time. And thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And this week we will be watching The Web Planet. The Web Planet was written by Bill Strutton, directed by Richard Martin, produced as ever by Verity Lambert, and aired February 13th, 1965. Hey, look, it's February 13th when we're recording this. Oh, that's funny. Uh, to March 20th, 1965. I don't think I have any super fun... Oh, here's, here's a fun trivia, I guess. This is the first episode ever to have had a trailer made for it. Just a fun little fact for you. Hmm. So other than a complete palate cleanser for the Romans, uh, uh, <laughs> Caleb, given your knowledge of Doctor Who so far and based solely on the title, what do you think the web planet is going to be about? The TARDIS is going to get stuck in a web, believe it or not, on a bug-infested mm. planet and the doctor is going to try and convince the alien species of the planet that he is also a praying mantis monster and get fucking eaten by them. Now, is this what you think is going to happen or what you hope is going to happen? Both. <laughs> Six of one, half a dozen the other. I have no idea. I know it's not about spiders, and that's the important part. Yes, I gave you that, I gave you that nice friendly warning that this episode specifically is not about spiders. Oh, okay, but we, I gotta know. Is the episode with the spiders in New Who? Like, is it going to be kind of realistic? Uh, no, it is in Classic Who. In fact, I'll tell you right now. I'll take a peek into the future here real quick. Because if I if I have to look at real spiders for an extended period of time, I'm going to probably give up on the podcast. <laughs> Not that dramatic. Maybe I'll just refuse to talk about it, and you can talk about that episode the whole time, and I'll talk about something else. Okay, if it makes you feel any better... Because I have it roughly scheduled of, like, which episodes are going to be coming out when. The episode that is titled The Planet of Spiders will not be going up in our podcast feed until June of 2023. So you got a whole year and a half left. Yeah, a whole year and a half. As long as I'm not super realistic, I think I'll be fine. I might end up talking about something else entirely the whole time, though. Um, but yeah, I have no predictions. Uh, I'm assuming there are bugs involved. I hope the doctor is, just tries to be an asshole about it and gets killed. We apologize if this is not being particularly entertaining. It is 11 o'clock where I am and midnight where you are. <laughs> so we are tired. And we just recorded the Romans episode and I think it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. Had energy for that.
And we're back. It may have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was a week for us. It was a week for a us. Week. Yes. <laughs> Caleb, uh, ordinarily, this would be the part where I ask you for your general thoughts on the episode, but I think we can both agree that one was fucking rough. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. There was one thing I liked about it, and yeah. It's funny because I was talking to someone about this um, about this podcast. I was telling what we what we did, and um, <laughs> one of his first questions was, "Oh, have you gotten to the web planet yet?" <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so apparently, this episode's got a reputation. <laughs> <sighs> okay, <laughs> but. Uh, not to, you know, give too much away. Caleb, overall, what did you think of the web planet? I didn't like it. <laughs> um, like I said, there's one, there's one element of it that I really enjoyed. But it it's the same critiques I had the, of the Romans. I felt like it was a huge step backwards. The mm. pacing was utter trash. Horrendous, yes. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. And yeah, this could have been two maybe even three episodes shorter yeah was it for this one bill strutton bill strutton yes i was like at first it feels more like the edge of destruction guy but it's not (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was not good (laughs) it was not good but uh let's go ahead and uh get into it instead of just vaguely saying it's not good over and over again (laughs) vaguely let's specifically say it's not good and also uh we're recording this episode like first thing in the morning as opposed to last thing at night so you get to hear our sexy morning voices yes Mm. and you can see how much of a raging dickhead i am in the morning (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a morning person like matt yeah all right episode one the web planet the TARDIS is pulled down to a planet by a strange force. Whatever has brought the travelers here also disabled the power on the TARDIS, stranding them. A strange sound emanates from outside the TARDIS that makes Vicky sick. Barbara strays behind to watch Vicky while the two men go outside to explore. Strange things happen to them as they travel, such as Ian's gold pen disappearing from his hand. On the TARDIS, Barbara loses control of her arm while wearing the gold band Nero gave her in the last adventure. The Doctor and Ian discover a weird pyramid and a pool of acid, and Barbara is dragged from the TARDIS after being hypnotized. After hearing Vicky yell for help, the Doctor and Ian head back to the TARDIS. Ian is held down by mysterious vines, and the Doctor is forced to go on without him. However, when he returns to the ship, he finds the TARDIS is gone. First off, I know that we're going to be critiquing a lot in this episode, but I just want something very clear. I like the costumes. The costumes, clearly a lot of effort was put into them, and I thought that Daphne Dare did a very wonderful job, and so no matter what critique we have, like maybe even, oh, I don't know, the acting of the actors in those costumes, (laughs) I don't want any anybody to think that i'm critiquing the costumes themselves because like there's like three different alien races four if you stretch it like there's the giant ants and i love the ant costumes i thought those were so much fun it was basically just ants with two human legs popping out of them <laughs> uh, I, I i like the larvae costumes just because i feel like it's a guy on like his elbows and knees just scooting along the ground it absolutely is <laughs> 
so my first note was I love the ant costumes. My second note was ultrasonic sounds are picked up by young animals and young people. <laughs> Doctor. Doctor. In the words of the great Sir Isaac Newton, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That, that was one of the first things I thought, too. Uh, even for the era, that is, like, the most made-up, nonsensical thing I've ever heard in my life. So, like, babies respond to dog whistles, right? Yeah, totally. That's, that's kind of the way I interpreted it. <laughs> uh, yes, very bananas. I think that's the first thing I said to you. We, we, we text each other the whole time during this first episode, and I felt like that was the first thing I said, too. Yeah. Oh, the first note I had, oh, it was the, yeah, do babies and animals hear in higher frequencies? I also said, oh my god, what happened to Vicky's hair? Yeah, I didn't really know what you were talking about there. I'm pretty sure Vicky is, like, back to her, the costume and hair she had in the rescue. Are you sure? Maybe pretty sure. I need to go back, because I feel like her hair is darker. I didn't notice, but, I mean, maybe maybe it was, but I didn't notice. Uh, the, but then also, like, did she put extensions in her hair just for the Roman adventure? Uh, possibly. I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Not that my opinion matters. But I don't like it. I also said, I'm also really glad I'm not wearing headphones. And that, could, oh, and God that damn. point says it stays pretty much the whole story. That, that is one of my biggest complaints of this. Because um, the ant creatures are called the Zarbi. And every time they are on screen, which is most of the time, they have just this... So when I was a kid, I had this ray gun toy that every time you uh, pressed it, it did a different type of, like, laser sound. And it was just as annoying to me now as I'm sure it was to everyone around me when I was younger. Because it was <laughs> it is constant, it is high-pitched, and it never stops. And I just realized I said it's constant and it never stops at the same time, but it's just that annoying. I think I remember that. It's, so so the TARDIS lands on this planet, and you know, you know that this is a serious situation because the Doctor is willing to leave before going out to explore first. Mm-hmm. They're like, Doctor, this place seems really uh, batshit, and he's like, hmm, yes, it is rather batshit. Let's, uh, let's leave. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, this episode, like, he keeps talking about his ring, which I, I'm assuming is one of those, like, vague mysterious things about the doctor we never actually learn about but uh what the fuck is the deal with his ring because he's like oh my dear boy i can like have backup power to the tardis through my ring and i'm like how does that work um i don't know i know that he's been wearing that ring this whole time but i mean it kind of makes sense like in the chance that there's no power to the tardis he has a way of still opening the doors as like this is my backup key kind of thing it, seemed, it was kind of, I wouldn't say it was, like, central to the plot, but I felt like it kept getting brought up. <laughs> there there was a feeling of, like, this is my ring, and like, ah, yes, of course, your vitally important ring. How could we possibly forget that ring that's been a central plot point in so many episodes? You can't, Why, you can't have one without the other. That ring is iconic. To the, what ring are you talking about? <laughs> This episode, I, I, this is a thread that you'll all understand in this. This episode is super meandery. It takes about half the episode for them to leave the TARDIS. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it's just like the old episodes where it's meandery. It takes forever to get anywhere. The next note I have is, Vicky, wake up and take this sleepy medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, because after 
Vicky hears the ultrasonic sounds of the ant people. Uh, she gets sick and passes out, basically. After Ian and the doctor are getting ready to leave, Barbara comes up to her and, like, shakes her awake. And she's like, Vicky, Vicky, wake up. I have some sleepy medicine that will help you. <laughs> yeah, and what did, what did she take? She took, like... It was, like, aspirin. Which I wasn't even aware could be used for sleep, but... Um, and then, oh, now listen, we're talking about 60s aspirin. That is true. That is true. <laughs> which probably had a significant amount of opium in it. Probably. They probably still had cocaine in their Coca-Cola. I liked... That this was the first planet they've gone to that's like, this is an unsafe atmosphere, so they have to, like, put on some defenses. Even if it's just like a, you're just like a rain poncho uh, <laughs> from, like, a practical <laughs> perspective. But they did have to put on some defenses. They ended up ditching it at some point because I guess it was getting in the way of all the actual costume design. But I liked it in the moment. <laughs> I kind of liked the, um, the aspirin thing because... I've realized that I'm just such a big fan of Vicky looking down on people who are from other time periods. Because <laughs> Barbara explains what she and Ian taught at Cole Hill High School. And she, <laughs> and she called the high school a nursery school. <laughs> because she learned all that shit in like an hour when she was like six yeah, my, my favorite part of that, too, is, like, when, when she's, just like, talking about it, she's like, oh, it was so long. It was, like, almost an hour a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that a lot, too. So, I think I think I also, like, watching Barb's face when she realizes that Vicky is, like, infinitely smarter than her. Because, yeah, because she says something about, like, the aspirin being, like, barbaric or something like that. Yeah, she's like, you still take headache medicine with pills? What the fuck backwards bullshit is this? <laughs> okay, so yeah, so that was a good moment. Um, I do think it becomes less so throughout the story, but I felt like in this episode, there were some really nice camera shots. There's a moment of like, A, it's got the kind of like Vaseline appearance when they're outside on the surface, mm -hmm. and the doctor walks away, and you just see Ian kind of to the left, and the TARDIS is in the background, and it's got that Vaseline smear. I was sitting there, I was like, that actually looks really nice. I think it's yeah. the first time I like really thought that in this show. And there's another one where you see Vicky like kind of like through the apparatus in the TARDIS, like the control console or whatever. Mm -hmm. I saw that. I was like, hmm, that's also very nice. I like the way that looks too. And this is a total minor thing, but I there was something I really liked about this. Again, it's such a minor thing. But we were watching the TARDIS control room from a different angle. Like, in every single episode so far, we've seen it so that the door, the entrance door, is on the left, and the console is on the right, and just all the shots are from that perspective. This time, it's from the other side of the room, so the door is on the right, and the TARDIS control is on the left, so you also see, like, some areas over there, a little, like, con some control dials and some, like, f a first aid kit and shit and another door that you don't normally see because it's always, like, behind you from the point of view. And it was just a small minor tweak. I was like, this actually is, like, strangely refreshing for all the for all the TARDIS <laughs> scenes. <laughs> wow, I've seen the whole other side of the ship now. <laughs> so the, the, that's where my compliments start to deteriorate very rapidly because once they get outside, it's still, like, the back-and-forth bullshit. I love when Ian goes to pull his pen out. 
and it disappears out of his hands. And you can tell that, I mean, you couldn't see the fish line, but you could tell someone just like had fish line offline, just yanked it out of his hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was hilarious because Ian, Ian's like looking around for it. I was like, Ian, it went that way. <laughs> But uh, going going back just a little bit, uh, Barbara draws attention to uh, the bracelet that she was given by Nero, which, frankly, I was surprised became a plot point. But I was like, why is Barbara wearing the bracelet of the dude who was, let's say, trying to play tag with her? And the entirety of the last story? The dude was a pig. Did you really need something to, like remember him by because <laughs> she's yeah. changed clothes she's wearing a completely different outfit so she like consciously left the bracelet on i'm like ugh. Uh, like granted it would be worth a goddamn fortune if she got back to the 20th century but still yeah for me like i was fine with her wearing it because like you know it's a gold bracelet it's probably really nice what, what bothered me about it was when she was like playing with it and she like it it looks like she's like reminiscing about reminiscing. it. Reminiscing. Like, it's like, oh, you... remember that time ah. you chased me through the halls and almost got me poisoned? And then I watched Rome burn? What a lovely time of my life. Good times. Uh, yeah, at this point, I make the note that because I was 15 minutes and 24 seconds, I timed it into the episode. I was pretty bored because it felt like nothing had happened yet because I kept clicking off the tab to like check Twitter and stuff. But. I was, but then I make the note, and it was like, well, I was kind of the same way when I watched The Sensorites, so maybe it will, it'll surprise me and get better. It does not surprise me and get better. It actually gets worse. <laughs> this really is the best episode in the whole story. Yes, this is the best episode. Ian and the Doctor are exploring the this planet, and they come across like this giant almost like pyramid tower type structure. And Ian is like, maybe we should go check that out. And then the doctor is like, no, that has nothing to do with holding the ship here, my boy. I'm like, see, I would have thought that the giant artificially made pyramid being the only sign of civilization you've seen for miles would be my first suspect in terms of things keeping you here. But what do I know, I guess? <laughs> yeah. I also love how Ian, a chemistry teacher, like, instantly tries to drink the first thing that looks even remotely like water. <laughs> this episode refers to him being a teacher so often, like a science teacher so often, but he does not act like one. <laughs> As we've established, Ian is a shit chemistry teacher. Yeah, no shit. Also, I, I had to rewind because I wanted to make sure I heard him correctly. The doctor wanted to test out the liquid, so he has Ian take... A tie from around his waist? Yep. Was he wearing a tie from around his waist this entire time? Or is a tie for another name for a belt in Britain? I don't know. British people are weird. I wouldn't be surprised if they said a tie. But like he describes the tie in the very last episode. Yeah, with like the green stripes. Like green stripes. I interpreted it as Ian didn't have a belt, so he wore his tie around his waist. It was like, this is a very special tie that I got as a Coal Hill High teacher. So the writers do remember he's a science teacher. And why did he just try to drink acid? Because <laughs> he takes the takes the belt tie whatever off and then they dip it into the pool and it like... 
Yeah, I don't remember. I think it's in the next episode where they say this. Uh, I, the doctor says something that, like, the planet is very similar to Earth. And I'm like, hmm, look at all this, like, arid wasteland and these weird square rocks and the pools of acid. You know what this place reminds me of? Earth. <laughs> and that is weird because, like, they also make the point of, like, the atmosphere is much thinner there. That's why they have to, quote, wear the defenses at the beginning. But they get over that pretty quickly. No, I'm I'm confident that at some point the doctor says that it's like Earth because I remember thinking that <laughs> I remember thinking how the fuck is this anything like Earth? <laughs> Again, I'm usually I'm usually pretty suspended in disbelief, but maybe I was mad, maybe I was bored, <laughs> so I was overthinking everything. But big critique of science fiction shows: how are they breathing? Like at all? Where are the trees? What's producing oxygen? <laughs> because Caleb, I'm glad we had this discussion. <laughs> because. Moving on, because <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was like, how do heavy jackets <laughs> help you with the atmosphere? I don't know. Because like it said, it had thinner atmosphere, so like I guess it has oxygen. I don't know. And, and then they're like, where this jacket? I was like, is it just a jacket with rocks in it? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it. <laughs> and then later, uh, this is in the next episode, but they're like, just take the uh, jacket off and then breathe like a scuba diver. <laughs> I was like, we're not scuba diving, though. <laughs> Oh, breathe deep, of course. Because up until now, I've just been going, <laughs> panting like a dog. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know, man. But I think that we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but Ian's kind of annoying in this story a little bit. Half of his lines in this first episode, at least half of his lines, are some form of, Doctor, look! Yeah, that's true. Thank God he's gone for most of this story. <laughs> and strangely enough, uh, Jacqueline Hill is the one who goes on vacation during this story. What? Right? I feel like she had so much more to do. You'd think it would be William Russell, but it was actually Jacqueline Hill. What else even happens in this episode? Barbara gets mind-controlled? There's a recurring and very annoying trend in what we've watched so far that is really starting to get on my nerves. And it's someone saying that they saw something, and then one or more of the others not believing them. I think Ian, like, points out something. He swears he just saw someone, saw something, because he saw one of the Zarbi, one of the ant creatures, and that, like, ducked behind. And he's, uh, he tells the doctor he saw something, and he's like, oh, no, it must have been just been, like, a trick of the light or something. I was like, doctor, why, why, why do you just assume there wasn't something there? And that happened, like, at the very beginning of the episode, too. Like, Barbara points to the screen. She's like, I think I just saw something. And then Ian is like, well, I don't see anything. And then Barbara responds with, well, yes, it's not there now, but there was definitely something there before. And it's just really annoying because we're how many episodes in and it feels like every time someone has seen something, give it a second and that thing's going to attack you. <laughs> Also, just, like, the very idea, like, they've been on so much sci-fi rigmarole. They've met, like, a dozen alien species at this point. They know there's shit out there. So right. why would you just assume that there isn't? Yeah, exactly. That That's really what bothers me the most. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. In my very narrow worldview, that that's definitely not a thing that can happen. But, like, if you're going to throughout space and time where literally anything can happen... I feel like you'd kind of abandon that narrow worldview of, no, that definitely can't happen. But Mac, this isn't a show about realism. Because if we were in a real world where you could travel through space and time and you were aware that there were threats to your life, 
you would bring a gun. <laughs> Seriously, so much of this show's fucking plots would just be solved if the doctor just carried a gun. <laughs> I think maybe his biggest worry is like, oh, me as a time traveler, I just killed this person with a gun. And it turns out that that's actually the father of the person who's going to lead this people to freedom in about 70 years. And now that person will never be born. Oops. <laughs> Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Maybe it's like a Star Trek gun where you can set it to stun, set phaser to stun. That would be something. And you set it to stun in the past and lethal in the future. Because <laughs> as I interpret it, if it's before, if it's after the time period that I'm from, it doesn't fucking matter what I do. <laughs> it's basically the philosophy, yeah. <laughs> basically, basically the philosophy is if it happens after the time period I'm from, there's no proof that I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just don't think that the doctor wants to go uh, throughout time and space and kill all the equivalents of Sarah Connors. <laughs> the doctor doesn't want to become the Terminator. Grant, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of cool. I would love to see an arc where the doctor is being chased by like an evil time wizard. Stay tuned. Doctor Terminator, basically. But we are also looking at this from our American perspective, where it's easier to buy a gun here than it is to buy, well, aspirin, ironically. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, how nice would it be if we were watching an arc and some alien creature was like, we're going to take your ship now. And the doctor was like, I have a better idea. Blam! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm just saying I can't remember specifically when it might. <laughs> if it feels like we've been meandering so much on this episode, don't worry. It's only because we'll have jack fucking shit to talk about in future in future episodes. If that's what it, yeah. feels, that's what it feels like we're dragging here. Yeah, there's really nothing to... Well, I mean, I guess let's round it out. Um, Barbara gets brainwashed and walks towards a pool of acid, uh, setting up that classic, Ooh, what's gonna happen next? <laughs> Ian gets attacked by vines, I think. I think it's supposed to be a web. It looks like a weird vine net. But uh, and then the doctor hears Vicky yelling for help, goes back to the ship, and the TARDIS is gone. Ooh. And then episode two happens. Then episode two happens. One other kind of point before we move on is, isn't there a moment in this episode where, like, the Zarbi, like, rock the TARDIS back and forth? I think so. Beginning before they all get out? Yeah, yeah, at a certain point, because because I do distinctly remember, like, Vicky going, having, like, a whoa kind of moment, and she has to, like, grab onto the console. Yeah. Um, if that happened, why the fuck does the Doctor think nothing is out there? I think, I think it happens after he's left. Oh, okay. Because I'm I'm fairly yeah, I'm fairly certain that Vicky is the only one on the ship when that does happen because it becomes like a minor plot point later that she in a desperation was just like, ah press every button. <laughs> oh yeah, she yeah, turns the power back on. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Alright, let's move on to episode two. Episode two, the Zarby. The doctor finds Ian laying lying down, the vines restraining him gone. Together they set off to find the TARDIS. Just before Z Barbara Zombie walks into a pool of acid, a butterfly-like creature intervenes and helps her. Vicky uses the scanner on the ship to see the giant ant-like creatures are dragging the TARDIS away. The Doctor deduces from an old husk that they are on the planet Vortis, home of the Monoptera people. The butterfly people take the gold band off Barbara, and they tell her that they are at war with the ant-like race called the Zarbi. After Barbara tries to escape them, she is caught by the Zarbi, who might control her again to attack the Monoptera. 
One of them is killed while another escapes. Roster, who is now captive with Barbara, informs her that they will be taken to the Crater of Needles. The Doctor and Ian have found their way to the den of Zar the Zarbi, and a strange funnel hovers over the Doctor's head and asks, Why do you come now? Absolutely dick all happens in this episode. <laughs> dick all happens in this episode. I was honestly, Caleb, I'm very impressed that you were able to mention a name or two of the Monoptera. Because I'll be perfectly honest, maybe this makes me a racist or something, but all the Monoptera looked exactly alike. And a lot of them drop, ironically, like flies. And then they're just like replaced with other Monoptera. And I, I barely notice. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor Who Wiki. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's, a, it's at this point that I, I make the note that this episode has a lot of Edge of Destruction vibes and that it feels like a collective fever dream the crew is having. Just with, like, the vast... I, I checked very specifically. They actually did not have Vaseline on the lens. But it looks like they do. And it just, like, has this ethereal feel to it. And, like, mm -hmm. the talking bugs and everything. It felt like Edge of Destruction, but, like, about as much happens in this episode as Edge of Destruction. It's just stretched over six episodes. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, like, literally nothing happens this episode. I think I think the most frustrating thing to me about this episode is there's a moment, and this is, like, towards the end of the episode, but the, uh, but the Monoptera are trying to, like, use this, like, radio cube to like reach out to the rest of the monoptera forces presumably in space nearby yeah i think i think it said that they're and they spend in the moon. like a minute and a half setting it up oh god they do they really do watch it, i'm like i'm gonna scream if i can see <laughs> watch this person bumble with this weird cube for another second <sighs> yeah and i think that perfectly encapsulates how this episode goes yeah no shit like not fucking nothing happens i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure vicky doesn't move from her spot i'm pretty sure she's like still is she in still in tardis uh yeah i think the only moment she has in this episode is like she flips on the camera and she's like i'm being dragged away cut away no, never see her again okay so vicky stays where she is the doctor and ian get into the zarby nest after they spend like probably seven or eight minutes just kind of wandering around just kind of wandering and then and barbara gets uh kidnapped and then kidnapped again by a different force she gets kidnapped from the kidnappers i, I think the best thing is like she goes to, okay first off we did talk about the way she escapes because the the monopoly are debating like should we kill her or should we use her as an ally and at one point she goes to get away and i'm very confused by what happens because it looks like she takes like one of their weird glass sword things and, like, trips one of them, but, like, they're already kind of past her. She has to go out of her way to do it. Yeah. It was very strange. She could have just left, so. She could have just left. And also, it felt like when they were debating whether they should kill her or not, it felt like the debate was leaning more towards, no, no, let's not kill her. And then she, like, attacked one of them <laughs> and tried to escape. I'm like, Barbara, just wait a couple seconds and i think he'd be fine the best part though in my opinion is like she she goes through all this effort to escape people who weren't even actually really debating to kill her or there was growing consensus not to so she escapes and then she runs out of the cave and the zombie are just kind of there they're like sup we're gonna be your new kidnappers yep kidnap you now take us to the monoptera who are probably not in that cave you just walked out of there's a there's a line that the doctor says because he says that he's I think he's, he says he's been to Vortis before, right? Yes. 
Yeah, he says he's been to Vortress before, and um, he remembers them being a, pe- a peaceful place. A peaceful place, and uh, Ian says, "Well, when in history in- on Vortis are we?" And the Doctor says, and I quote, "History doesn't mean anything when you travel through space and time." And I'm like, I would argue the exact opposite. Actually, I think it's vitally important if you're traveling through space and time. You can tell it's just one of those lines, like, the writer's just like, I want to put this in here because I feel like it's a good line. It sounds cool. I had six notes. One was talking about the Monoptera costumes. Uh, The next one was talking about Edge of Destruction. The next one said, uh, so much for selling Nero's bracelet. Yeah. Next one talking about the pacing. The next one talking about the history line. And then my last note is... Fuck, that was dull. Yeah, <laughs> and we pretty much already said that. Again, nothing happens in this episode. This could have been the last five minutes of the last episode. Honestly, it could have. Yeah, boring. Really painful. There's also a very painful arc in this, because I feel like I'd have to go back and check the time signatures. I know, because I watched um, the last four all at once. These like middle episodes got progressively longer. Did they? Yeah, and like it's only by like a minute. But oh my god, you can feel it. Because <laughs> I think um the attack, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there's an attack. It's 26 minutes, and I fell asleep the first time I watched it. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. It was rough. I was kind of hoping because, like I said, I was thinking, about the, I was thinking back to the Sensorites and how the first two episodes were like really dull and slow. But then it started to pick up, and I started to really like the Sensorites. That uh, does not happen. I have six notes for the episode we just cover. I have four notes for the next one. Yeah, because it's not much better. Uh, I have nothing else to say about this episode. Do we want to move on? Yeah, let's move on. All right. Escape to danger. The Doctor goes back and forth on the thing on whether or not to help it find the Monoptra fleet that is preparing to attack. He suddenly hatches a plan with Ian to have him escape to find Barbara while the Doctor and Vicky stay behind. When the voice, known as the Animus, relinquishes power to help power the Doctor's device, Ian slips away. The Doctor sends Vicky back to the ship to retrieve a box. Inside it is a spider that the Zarbi are terrified of. That's super important later, we promise. Ian is saved from the Zarbi by another Monoptra named Vreston. She tells him that the Zarbi and Monoptra used to live in harmony until the Animus began manipulating them. Vreston offers to guide Ian to the Crater of Needles. As the two escape the Zarbi, they slip and fall into a cave. That's it? Yep, that's it. In case you're curious, this this is the episode in which um, Jacqueline Hill uh, was on vacation. I mean, that makes sense. Because she's not in it. There is no Barbara scene, yeah. Literally. Literally. Not exaggerating here. Half of this episode is the Doctor sort of kind of talking to himself. He's talking to kind this of. disembodied voice that is only represented by this weird funnel yeah that only he can hear but but it really is i i feel like at least half of this episode is just him going back and forth with that thing am i am i wrong in saying that not like the first half of it but collectively half the episode is that no i'm i'm with you because uh one of my notes one of my four notes is i actually felt like you were going to like this episode given just how much of it is just the doctor talking entirely out of his ass and I know that's your favorite trope so far. Oh, yes. My absolute favorite. <laughs> I will, I will, since it's sort of kind of been introduced, I'll just go ahead and say it. The Animus, the villain, is my favorite part of the whole episode. Yeah. No, the Animus is cool. I like Lovecraftian-style creature things. So, I found this out. 
And I know that we're not doing any sort of expanded universe thing. We're not doing any books. We're not doing any audiobooks thing. But, and this is not covered, but apparently there was like a whole other universe before our current one. And like the survivors of that universe being destroyed are basically like Lovecraftian creatures who subconsciously kind of influenced some people. And one of them was H.P. Lovecraft, who then went to write about these creatures. So, like, it's canonical in the Doctor Who universe that these Lovecraftian abominations are real. And the Animus is one of them. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. The fact, the fact that you've called it Lovecraftian is actually fairly accurate. <laughs> oh, great. See, I'm very smart. <laughs> I'm, I think about th- the things I say. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a great villain. Nah, not a great villain. Uh, it's a great monster. It's kind of a stupid villain. <laughs> it's kind of a stupid villain. Because you can hear you can hear the lack of trust in his voice. Like, it does not believe anything the Doctor is saying. And then lets him do his bullshit anyway. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. There, there, are so many, there are so many times throughout this story, I'm like, why don't you just kill him? Because the Animus, like, literally has, like, tentacle guns, like, coming out of the walls, like, turrets. Mm-hmm. That can, like, fire and destroy things. So, like, you could kill the Doctor at any time, and he gives you ample reason to. I'm not sure why you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Dumb villain. Cool monster, though. Also, whoever they got to be the voice of it, mm, chef's kiss. Yeah. No, they're, they're really good. But, yeah. But that that's the last good thing I have to say about this episode. <laughs> and I think every episode from here on. My first note for this episode is, so is the little cockroach thing, like, a dog or a dog with a big cannon mounted on its nose the the creature that we were talking about where it's just like a guy like on his uh elbows and knees like running across the floor and he's like got this larva amoeba thing like on his back which i didn't i didn't realize later on when they talk about the larvae guns that that's what they were talking about yeah it took me a couple episodes to figure it out too they're living weapons but, like, at first, I was like, are they just, like, dogs? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they just keep following these guys around. Help me out here, because I can't, I can't quite remember why I wrote this note. I really need to learn how to specify it when I make this note, because I just have the note of, God damn it, Ian. Oh, it's probably, it's probably the moment where, like, so, like, he's, like, sneaking around, right? He's trying to escape, and then he sees this Zarbi, yes. and he just attacks it for no reason. <laughs> yeah, he, he attacks Zarbi, and then he, like ducks into this side area and then a door comes down because it turns out that that side area was like a prison cell (laughs) (laughs) i i watched i was like ian just go around it just go around it it's a fucking ant (laughs) (laughs) an admittedly big ant but like it's an ant (laughs) but dude like you've seen these things like bumble around you can move faster than it it's also looking that way go that way You'd think after uh, the Planet of Giants, he'd be used to dealing with big insects. He's like, oh, no, I got this handle. Don't worry. Yeah. So I would say that's your goddamn it, Ian moment. Yeah, The other thing in this episode, too, is the doctor tells Vicky to retrieve the specimen. Uh, So she goes and gets this little box, and when she opens it, the Zarbi are freaking out. And I'm guessing there was a spider in it. It looked like a big rock. I think there was a spider. It looked like a big rock to me. And that is super important because it never gets brought up again. Well, you know... It is brought up again. It's just never used again. Yeah. Like, I distinctly remember, like, I think it's the last episode 
the doctor is like, do you have the specimen child? She's like, no, I, f I left it back at the, at the map or whatever. And it's like, ah, damn, we could have really used that. No, no, no. I, I do have that note that that's not the specimen box. I do think they mentioned the spider that somewhere in that episode, but the thing she's mentioned being left behind is the isoptope, like the fucking Minoptra super weapon that's supposed to destroy the animus. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, okay. Because I have a lot to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> I have shockingly little to say about that, which I feel like says a lot about that. <laughs> um, and then my last note is just, this is the episode where the annoying sounds just really got on my nerves. Because this episode, it was just non-stop onslaught mm -hmm. of these really annoying Zarbi sounds. All right, yeah, I have nothing else to say. This is another episode that like could have been combined into another one. Because yeah. dick all happens. If I ever get, like, super bored one day, I have, like, literally nothing to do. I kind of want to make a super cut of these classic Who episodes and, like, edit them down to a manageable size. Oh, my God. Please do that. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the biggest frustration I'm having doing this podcast and watching this show right now is the fact that I cannot watch it at, like, time and a half. Yeah. Because when I when I watched um The Reign of Terror at Time and a Half, I was like, this is great. Like it moves along pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's uh in New Who it's one forty five minute episode each. So that is Well, so I also a... feel like even if the first one came out in like two thousand two or whatever, like it's gonna have like modern T V conventions. <laughs> yeah, basically. There's forty years of T V history, they know how to write a fucking T V episode now. Yeah, it's true. There is also um an era of classic who where they switch from like the four to six 23 long 23 minute long episodes to two 45 minute long episodes and i literally just got one of the dvds from that era and i think it has better pacing so and now and now look i, I want to make it clear that like i don't mind like a slow burn like weirdly sure. enough one of my favorite shows as a kid was columbo yeah. And let me tell you, like, a fucking meandery slow burn show is Columbo. And I loved it. But at least Columbo starts with the murder. Mm -hmm. At least it has that. So, like, it shows you the murder happening, and then the rest of the episode is intrigue trying to figure out how Columbo is going to solve the murder you just saw. Mm -hmm. At least it has that. <laughs> Our next podcast is a Columbo podcast. I'd be down. I've never watched Columbo. I'm just, I'm just aware of it. <laughs> okay. That's the one we'll do. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not against the slow burn. The problem is, like, it's really meandery, and this show has a really bad habit of, like, making things seem important and then never fucking talking about them again. Mm -hmm. And not just in a world-building sense of, like, oh, this thing is this or this thing is that, because, like, that's fine, because, like, I don't know, I like world-building, but stuff like, this, oh, the Zorbi are scared of the spider and then never fucking using that for anything. Yeah. I'm assuming it's because, like, ants are scared of spiders in on Earth. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't explain it. There's no spiders on Vortis, so why are the ants scared of it? It's so much smaller than them. Like, it's the size of a tarantula, which is, like, big, but it's way smaller than Zarbies. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, nothing happens. It's all pointless. Uh, this episode could have been two episodes, I think. <laughs> or this uh, story could have been two episodes. Uh, anyway. On to the next one. On to the next one. Crater of Needles. Ian and Reston are ambushed by strange creatures as the dust settles around them. At the Crater of Needles, Barbara and Hrostar, God, that's hard to say, are forced into hard labor. 
They are dumping vegetation into an acid pool that leads to the carcinome, the center of operation for the Zarbi and the Animus. The Doctor and Vicky plot their escape, but the Animus makes it clear that if the Doctor does not help, it will kill Vicky. Just as the conversation ends, an alarm rings warning of an attack. The Monoptera attack the crater of needles, and it gives Barbara and Hroster and their new companions a chance to escape. At the TARDIS, the Doctor deduces how the Zarbi's mind control works. He tries to use the TARDIS instrument to counteract it, but gives the Animus the ability to read the information. It discovers where the Monoptera forces are. Vreston and Ian are held captive by the grub creatures, but Vreston convinces them to help the two reach the surface and stop the Animus. The Monoptera attack goes horribly wrong, and the episode ends with the Zarbi looming over Barbara. So at the very beginning, it's uh, looking at the Crater of Needles where Barbara and the Monoptera are, and it was at this point like a light bulb happened. I was like, oh, the Monoptera's stripe design makes them look like prisoners. Ah, uh, that's, that's clever. That, that's I like that. something. I think that's something. I can't tell. It is at this point that the Monoptera manner of speech is really getting on my nerves. Oh, it, it's been, it, it, it was annoying to me the moment they started talking. I was like, I'm going to hate this. Yeah, no, it was it was annoying from the start, but I was but I was tolerant of it and it was at this point I was like, "Oh my god, shut up." It was at this point that I was basically uh having my volume at like 2 just be just between the monopter speaking and the Zarbi constantly beep 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 beeping. It was just like this is painful to listen to and also kind of painful to watch cuz like all the 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 lighting effects and the mm -hmm. Vaseline on the lens. I was like, ugh, this is ugly. Like, it was dreamlike and ethereal at the beginning, and now it's just annoying. <laughs> yeah, now it's just bad to watch. But for those of you who are interested, the Monoptera talk just like this, and they never shut the fuck up, and it is very annoying and i don't know if they're trying to replicate bees or whatever but like they talk with their hands or really close to their chests and like wave them in circles yeah they always have them like up and they're just like i'm making circles in the air because i guess that's what bugs do <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it was very weird it was very weird and it was fine in the first episode when they had, like, one scene, but the Monoptera become more and more prevalent through the story. With the last ten minutes of the last episode basically just being the Monoptera oh monologuing about what's going to happen when the travelers oh leave. Oh, my God, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> that part, that, that, was, that was rough. Okay. Um, but but there's a correlation between how much the Monoptera talk and how good the episode is. Kind of, yeah. Because <laughs> the first episode was the best one, and that was the only episode that didn't have any Monoptera talking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but anyway, what, what happened in this episode? Now, now, to be fair, stuff happens in this episode. It's just really bad. You want to know what happens this episode? Doctor tells the Animus, yeah, so... Well, he doesn't tell the Animus this, but the Doctor is basically helping the Animus as much as he can without actually helping the Animus, so that he's seen as useful without being killed. And then he intercepts a transmission from the Monoptera fleet coming down, 
uh, saying exactly when and where and how much they're going to be attacking. And then he has a conversation with the Animus, and he accidentally plays that recording back for the Animus. And the Animus is like, ah, oh, cool. Thanks, bro. And um, then it cuts to Barbara debating with the Monoptera, saying, no, no, the Doctor definitely didn't betray us. Absolutely not. There's no way he would be working with the enemy. <laughs> and I'm like, Barbara, why are you so vehemently denying that the Doctor would betray you? That's absolutely something he would do. <laughs> I, Like I said, I fell asleep the first time I watched this episode, so I had to go back and rewatch it. Did not clarify anything, because I'm still confused by a lot of things. Um, is Barbara even provoked to say that? Yeah, I think so. Because they're in the Crater of Needles, and the Zarbi are like starting to mobilize, because they've just like gotten a message from the Animus. They're like, how, why are, it feels like they're getting ready for an attack. Why do they already know that an attack is coming? How would they have gotten that information? Would your friend, the doctor, you said he was a scientist, would he have possibly told the Animus that this was happening? And then Barbara's like, no, no, absolutely not. The doctor would never do that. Right after, like, we just had a scene where he did exactly <laughs> that. Leading me to still the majority opinion that the doctor is trying to get everyone killed. <laughs> or at the very least, Ian. God. Uh, <sighs> Nothing happens this episode. There's even, like, an attack sequence, and I still don't really feel like anything happened. Yeah, the last scene is the Monoptera, like, landing, and then the Zarbi ambushing them. And it's it's a fight that's really hard to follow, because, as I've said before, all of the Monoptera look exactly alike. So I'm like, I think, I think there's a lot of people dying, and then... I don't know if it's any characters we know, because they all look exactly the same, so I couldn't tell you. It was a fight that had absolutely no stakes. Yeah, it was not good. And nothing really happens to the Doctor. Uh, Ian gets caught by, like, these, like, grub creatures, and then, like, the next time you see him is, like, towards the end of the episode, and they're, like, tied up, and, uh... The Monoptera character is kind of like, hey, like, help us. We'll help you reach the surface. And the Grubs even say something like, we don't want to do that. The surface sucks. Why would we go up there? Um, the Optera. That's what they're the called. The Optera is what they're called. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they're like de-evolved forms of the Monoptera. Yeah, they're Monoptera who like hid underground and then I guess less than a generation later have completely adapted to their subterranean uh, lives. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, this is a race that adapts really fucking fast because within a generation, they're like, yeah, we're underground mole people now and uh, we hate the light, so we're just going to stay here. <laughs> or maybe all of these insect creatures actually have the lifespan of like an actual insect. <laughs> so we've been here for generations when it's actually only been like eight days. Yeah. Roster and Breston are like eight hours old. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be going anytime now yeah i have nothing to say on this episode at, at, at this point i'm just trying to binge them all to be done <laughs> yeah i guess we'll move on to the next episode i'm ready if you are all right invasion barb escapes with the monoptera and they find themselves in the temple of light a monoptera structure i'm assuming that's the pyramid that was brought up in the first episode i don't know they never confirm then we don't even see the outside of it again while the spearhead has failed, the leader Helio believes they can still win with a device called the isotope. 
The doctor and Vicky avoid mind control because of his plans, and together they are able to escape the carcinome with the Zarbi under their control. They meet up with Barbara and the others and scheme how to defeat the Animus. They need to get the isotope to the carcinome, so the doctor agrees to take it in exchange for the Monoptera taking his ring and the controlled Zarbi. As they return to the carcinome, they are sensibly captured by the Zarbi and sprayed with a weird web gun. At the beginning of the episode, uh, Barbara is, you know, being cornered by the Zarbi, and then she, like, falls backwards, and that's how she finds, like, a secret door. Like a Scooby-Doo cave. Yeah. And my note is, well done, Barbara! Your constant falling down is finally good for something! Also, if that was, like, a secret entrance to the Temple of Light or whatever, the Monoptera structure... Why didn't the Monoptera ever use that to escape the Crater of Needles? Because it doesn't seem like they've gone that far. Because. Just because? Just because. Because. <laughs> when they tear off their wings to be put in servitude, they also become total fucking idiots. Their brains are located in their wings. So I would like to say that I've uh, really come to... I mean, it kind of showed off a little bit in the Romans, but I think it was really, really showed off here. I've come to really appreciate the relationship between the Doctor and Vicky because she feels much more like his equal assistant and partner in crime than a certain other person that I could mention. So I just really like, I really like the rapport between the Doctor and Vicky. Yes, I would agree. There's one thing Vicky does that very much reminds me of Susan, but we'll talk about that in the next episode. <laughs> okay, so there's something we haven't really talked about, and that's uh, what the Zarbi are. Because, like, we know that they're ant people, but they're they're basically, like, mindless cattle. And the only reason that they're following the Animus is because the Animus was... Or, as the Monopter put it, the Animus. The Animus. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason they're following the Animus is because, like, they are such mindless creatures that the Animus was able to just, like, hold its will over them. And basically become its arms and legs. So, on that note... While using um, a mind-controlled Zarbi as a pet and, like, a way of escaping, it almost feels kind of cruel. I kind of feel bad for the Zarbi throughout this whole story, and it feels like we're not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, because, like, I, I interpret it like they were, like, ants. Like, they're, they're kind of like a collective hive mind, and the Animus just kind of, like, put itself in the middle of it. <laughs> Yeah, the Animus was basically like, I'm the queen now. And they were just like, rad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I feel bad for the Zarbi, just because, like, I don't... They're obviously not sentient. And if you're not smarter than a dolphin, I don't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, there, was, there was a moment in this episode that got a genuine chuckle from me. And I was like, oh my god, this is the first, like, good reaction I've had. This entire story, I'm so happy. Because the Doctor and Vicky escape with this Zarbi, and they're stopping to rest because the Doctor's old and he's winded. <laughs> and Vicky is like, he's rather cute when he's like this, don't you think? And the Doctor is, oh, well, I hadn't really noticed it before, my dear, but now that you mention it, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> 
The doctor with the zingers. I really don't have much to say about this episode. We, It's important that you know that the isotope, this uh, little gold ball thing, is like the super weapon that's going to kill the Animus because it will, I guess. This thing will kill the Animus. Don't question it. Shut up. Take this. More importantly, though, is the conversation where the doctor's like, well, I'll take the isotope back because the Animus won't kill me for any reason for some reason. So I'll take it back and I'll use it. And one of the Zarbi is like, yes, you can do that. In exchange, can we have the Zarbi? <laughs> and something about the weird Monopto way things. It sounded super horny. Can we have this ant creature? Can we borrow that? <laughs> just just for one night. We only need it for the one night. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but like, uh, <laughs> I, that, that was the only note I took on this episode. I was like, the Monopto are horny for Zarbi. <laughs> That's why they really make a point of, like, we don't want to kill the Zarbi. We want to free them. They do this thing with their pincers that I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wish we could go back to episode two when we see the Zarbi about to pull off Frost's wings. That's when I hear him go, oh! <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, this... This episode definitely feels... No, I can't get that image out of my head. <laughs> this episode feels just just like moving pieces into position for the final climax. And that's... Yeah, and that's basically it. it. Yeah. All right, do we want to... Speaking of the climax... Let's get the shit over with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The episode climax, not the, not the Monopoly climax. That happens off screen. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Alright, episode 6, The Center. The Animus decides to confront the Doctor and Vicky head-on. Like a total fucking idiot, Vicky hides the isotope and leaves it behind. The Monoptera do some hooping and hollering, which is apparently all you need to do to defeat the Zarbi. Roster is killed in the only badass moment in the whole story. Ian and Preston make their way closer to the carcinome through the tunnels led by the Optra. At the carcinome, the Doctor and Vicky confront the Animus, which is a large web brain thing that is going to absorb their intelligence. Vicky blames herself for not being able to stop it, and she's totally right. The Animus wants to absorb their intelligence to learn how to reach beyond this planet and take over the galaxy. Barbara finds the isotope, and together her and the group go to confront the Animus. However, the Animus is too powerful for her and stops her from using the isotope. Only Ian's arrival distracts it, and Barbara is able to destroy it. Back on the planet, there is an insane amount of time spent talking about what will happen to the Monoptra people, and then the travelers fade away in the TARDIS once again. Oh boy. Okay, so at the very beginning, <laughs> at the very beginning, the Monoptra and Barbara are, like, going to be ambushing this Zarbi, right? And there's this shot that is so fucking funny, because it's just, like, a Zarbi just kind of, like, vibing, just kind of, like, hanging out. And then there's a like a rock on the other, on on the far far end, and then just like one by one, the Monoptera and Barbara just like pop like pop up from the boulder. It's like boop, 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 boop. <laughs> it's just really funny because it's in total silence. There is no noise whatsoever, and it is hilarious. <laughs> so it's important to note that like after they get sprayed with this web gun, which is again weirdly sexual, I think. Yeah. It's very money shot. <laughs> in the last episode, you see it kind of like squirting out of the gun, I guess. And you don't want to hear Vicky go, ah! 
Yeah, and then the Doctor and Vicky get covered in this web. And then Vicky just breaks away from it immediately and, like, scoots, like, very nonchalantly towards the thing the Doctor brought out. Yeah, and then the Doctor is, like, seems to kind of, like, weirded out, but is otherwise fine. And I'm like, wow, that web really did fuck all, didn't it? Yeah. And then the Zorbi kind of, like, round them up and take them down this tunnel to meet the Animus. And the Doctor's like, Vicky, you have the isotope, right? And Vicky's like, no, I hid it in the thing and left it behind. To which I immediately thought, why the fuck did you do that? I think maybe she was worried that they would find it when they're capturing them. I don't know. They didn't find it when it was like literally in her fucking hand. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why she did that. It felt very Susan. Yeah, it was very Susan. Like, if Susan did that, I'd be like, okay, yeah, Susan would do that. Just for the rest of this show, we're just going to call that pulling a Susan. (laughs) Yes. So the Animus, like, wants to absorb the Doctor's consciousness. So, like, I guess I kind of understand why it's keeping the Doctor alive. At this point, I do not know why it's keeping Vicky alive. I have a better question. Hmm. If the Animus, like, realized the Doctor was smart and, like, could do, like, literally anything... Why didn't it do this at the beginning? Why even, like, waste its time trying to convince the Doctor to help it when it could have just absorbed it the whole time? That is a wonderful fucking question, Caleb, and I'm so <laughs> glad you asked it. <laughs> that's why That's why the Animus is a great monster and a horrible villain. Yeah, basically. Because, like, when it was like, I'm going to suffocate you and absorb your intelligence, I was like, we could have saved four fucking episodes. <laughs> Look, I don't want to say that the animus is the great old one equivalent of tagana but he's kind of the great old one equivalent of tagana <laughs> and you know what i would take that entirely what if we took tagana and made him a lovecraft god <laughs> <laughs> yeah then we cut over back to barbara's group and like a pokemon battle they make their zarby fight this other zarby and their epic fight is just them lightly bumping into each other <laughs> because the people in the costumes can't like move <laughs> and swinging too dramatically probably break the paper mache probably and and then Caleb please please help me out here because my note is what the fuck am I watching because it's literally the monopter just like going over and being like zombie zombie and then the zarby like running over to the monopter to like attack and then a different one comes over comes over to the other side and it's like zombie and then the zarby like goes over to them to attack and it's just like it's just like the zarby going back and forth while the monopter are just like shouting and going like whoa whoa." (laughs) i'm like what the actual fuck am i watching Help me, Caleb. What am I watching? <laughs> no wonder the Monopter Spearhead got decimated. I don't, I have a theory that it didn't fucking matter where they landed or whether or not the Zarbi knew they were coming. If their plan was just to come and yell at them. Because, <laughs> like, you got the... And you got the tonality wrong. It was like, Zarbi. That's it. That was it. Zarbi. Zarbi. <laughs> I know. Because watch it. It was like, okay, I guess the way you beat them is by making them run in circles until... If they get dizzy. <laughs> is this the bizarre mating ritual between the Monoptera and the Zarbi? <laughs> okay, so on the one hand, 
it's like, okay, I totally understand how the Monoptera were able to be overcome if this is the best plan they could come up with. On the other hand, how the fuck did the Monoptera get overrun if they can, if the Zarbi can be defeated by just shouting at them? <laughs> Both are equally useless. Also, where are like the weird crystal sword things they had in the first episode with the Monoptera? <laughs> ah, we left them behind. Didn't think they'd come in handy. Uh, because like killing humans, no problem. Execute those fuckers. The Zarbi, again, they have a weird sexual thing going on, so I understand why you don't want to kill them. <laughs> well, we can't use the sword. We can't use the swords on the Zarbi. Otherwise, we might damage the thorax. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we wouldn't want it to lose one of its feelers. <sighs> <laughs> I hate us. Anyway. <laughs> mm, the, the the theory adds up the more you think about it. The more I think about it, the more it lines up, yeah. I would go back and rewatch this so that I could, like, really line up and be like, oh, yeah, there's a moment where that happens. Uh, except that would require me going back and watching this again. And fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Most importantly... The most reasonable thing that happens in this episode is when the Animus is kind of like consuming the Doctor and Vicky. Vicky has a dramatic line, and she's like, "She's like, and we can't stop it, and it's all my fault." I was like, "Well, at least you know, Vicky. <laughs> at least you're self-aware. <laughs> at least you're aware that this kind of is your fault." Total side note: says this literally has nothing to do with anything. The female Monoptera that Ian is traveling with underground, she keeps calling him Heron. Yeah, I was gonna bring Why? that up. Why? Why? Like, I, I understand it's probably some, like, play on, like, their fucking weird speech par pattern, but it doesn't even imply, they don't even have, like, a meeting moment, really, where they're, where he's like, well, I'm Ian, and you're Reston, I guess. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the first time you meet, like, because, like, I wasn't even aware that they did meet. Maybe I fell asleep or something. You just kind of see them together, and she's calling him Heron. I'm like, why? Why? Yeah, I... I was very confused. Anyway, back to stuff that's actually happening. The Doctor and Vicky are, like, being tangled up in the Animus's, like, tentacles. And I made the note of, I've seen enough hentai to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I've seen enough hentai. That's it. That's all I really need to say. On our next podcast, we'll be reviewing hentai. Now that's a podcast. <laughs> now that's a podcast. <laughs> uh, and for, for those wondering... The animus basically looks like if Mother Brain were a plant. Like Mother Brain from Metroid were a plant. That's kind of what the animus looks like. That's how yeah, I would describe I it. I thought it kind of looked like, um, what's the Pokemon with the blue tentacles and just like the eyeballs inside it? Tangela? Tangela, yeah. It looked like Tangela to me. Like a glowing Tangela that floated. Uh, here, here's, a, here's a deep cut. It looks like one of the early boss fights in Final Fantasy IX where you're fighting that plant thing right before oh, the forest yeah. turns to stone. Yeah. It kind of it it reminded me of that, too. Any kind of tentacle thing you can think of, it looks like that. <laughs> Especially the one you're thinking of right now. That sounds so horny, Mac. <laughs> again, we'll, we'll see you again in our next podcast where we review different hentai. <laughs> <laughs> we watch one and just like, again, how does this keep happening? Another episode where nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs>
So Barbara and the Zarbi discover the isotope, and they're like, oh, wow, the Doctor and Vicky are really fucked up. We should probably do something. They go in. The animus, I guess, is, like, too bright because Barbara can't make the isotope do whatever it's supposed to do. And then Ian just kind of pops out of a hatch in the back, and then the isotope works. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm here. <laughs> Through the power of friendship? I don't know. This was one of my biggest issues with the animus because it, it goes out with nothing. Like, I have no idea how they defeat it because the animus is bragging that it cannot be destroyed. Cut to a scene where I can't tell what's happening and then cut back to the animus saying that, oh, I've been defeated. Because as far as I can tell, Barbara doesn't know what to do with this isotope. So it, he's she's just like holding it up. And then Ian comes in, and she's still just holding it up, and then the animus just, like, deflates. And I'm like, is this not a grenade? This feels like a grenade. <laughs> well, the, she says something about, like, taking it to the dark side of the animus. I don't fucking know what that is. I don't know. Something that I thought was, I don't know, funny, stupid, you decide. Um, because the animus is, like, emitting this bright light, and the uh, Monoptera are just, like, being drawn to it and they have to be, like, pulled back because they're literally moths to a flame. <laughs> it's it's the great old one equivalent of a bug zapper as well. <laughs> no wonder the Monoptera got destroyed by it. Yeah, and then my note is, and then Barbara killed it. No, it doesn't matter how. Stop asking questions. The Monoptera being drawn to it and, like, almost actively destroying themselves leads me to the ultimate question. Did the Monoptera kind of deserve it? The Monoptera feel like dicks. And it's not just because I feel bad for the Zarbi, but, like, the Monoptera kind of feel like pretentious assholes <laughs> a little bit. Also, not that I would ever advocate for Xenocide or anything like that, but I don't know. The Monoptera are annoying. The Monoptera are annoying. I don't think the galaxy's going to lose a whole lot if these annoying moth people will be gone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and if they're if they're so easily tricked by like obviously a very evil thing by like oh my god that light is so bright I have to touch it maybe they deserve to be wiped out as a species. Yeah, but I again I do feel so much so bad for the Zarbi because they're treated like cattle by the Monoptera and then they're used by puppets by the Animus and then once the Animus is defeated the Monoptera are like oh thank God we can go back to treating the Zarbi like slaves come along everyone. <laughs> Ugh, I don't like this. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so established. The Monoptera were the real villain the whole time. <laughs> Man, the Optra did fucking nothing. This entire story. Like, forget Chekhov's gun. These guys were just like Chekhov's characters. Because the subterranean creatures are brought up to the light, and they're like, oh god, we hate the light. This is awful. But that one Monoptera that Ian was traveling with was like, No, the light is good. You will like the light. I'm like, dude, if the Optra just want to live underground, just let them live underground. Why do you give a fuck? There's also uh, what I thought was a funny part was like the, in the background, I think while Ian and like the Doctor and all of them are talking to the Monoptera, you can see that Monoptera with the Optra in the background, and the Optra are just kind of, like, wandering around in circles. It's like, <laughs> it's like can't I can't see. see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was funny. But 
not as funny. I, the funniness of that did not make up for the sheer utter torture that was the last half of this episode. Where it was just the Monopter talking the whole fucking time. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny, Caleb, is you got it flipped backwards in your recap. Because it wasn't the Monopter talking for 10 minutes and then the TARDIS leaving. No, 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 no. It was the TARDIS leaving and then the Monoptera talking oh, yeah. for 10 minutes because I was so relieved. The TARDIS was dematerializing and I literally have the note of, oh, finally we're fucking leaving. Nope. Because then we're just talking about the Monoptera talking about all the things they need to do to fix the, to fix the planet and to reconstruct their uh, society and how to reintegrate the Optra into their circle and what to do with the Zarbi. And I'm like, we literally don't care. Who gives a shit? Why are we not focusing on the actual characters? God forbid we focus on the main characters. You're right. Let's end the story with making sure that the goddamn cockroaches are fine. Jesus Christ. This was awful. Yeah. It was horrible. I'm not going to lie. I fast-forwarded through it. I was like, all right, we'll see what happens. Boop, boop, boop. I was like, okay, 30 seconds later, they're still talking. Da, 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 da. It was me and the Romans all over again. That actually happened a couple times where I was just like, fast-forward, fast-forward, okay, fast-forward, fast-forward, okay, fast-forward, fast-forward. Especially in the parts when they were underground. Mm -hmm. I was just like, wow, this has nothing to do with anything. Anyway, because, because the only thing that the whole underground thing led to was Ian popping out of a hatch, like goddamn Kronk from Emperor's New Groove. What are the <laughs> odds that this would lead me out here? <laughs> but yeah, that's it. But that's yeah. the Red Planet. Let's see, any trivia? To this day, this is the only episode of Doctor Who that doesn't have any sort of like humanoid characters in its supporting cast, uh, unless you count The Edge of Destruction, which I don't, because it didn't have a supporting cast. Didn't even really have a plot. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Final thoughts. It's one of the worst episodes we've watched, for sure. I would say it's the worst episode we've watched. I put it at the bottom mm, of my list. I think The Romans is still worse. Um, this is at least on caliber with, like, the Daleks. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I, I think maybe we're having, like, a little bit of rose-colored glasses, because, like, the Daleks are the Daleks, but that arc was not good. It wasn't. And pretty it much everything good. wrong with that arc is in this story. We're just looking nostalgically because, like, the past few episodes before the Romans were pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's true. This this story, when it was at its best, it was boring. When it was at its worst, it was actively annoying with the Zarbi beeping and the Monoptera talking. And if it wasn't one or the other, it was both. And the Animus was cool in theory, but it went out like such a fucking bitch and had such stupid decisions that it was kind of counteracted. And then it was painful to look at with all the glares. It was it was just a bad, bad episode all around. Okay, take it, take it from me, the Doctor Who not expert, um, who still wouldn't even describe himself as a fan of the show, really. Yeah. <laughs> at its best, the Daleks was boring. I think you could argue there was more entertainment value because the dogs were hilarious to listen to. That's true. <laughs> but <laughs> the Daleks arc was boring. Okay, but Caleb, the Daleks had, I can't remember her name, but the character that you had a oh, stiffy true. over. That's true. They did have Diani. They had Diani. No Diani in this. Okay, you're right. <laughs> the wet planet is worse <laughs> than the Daleks. <laughs> I think I hated the Romans more, though. More so because, like, 
I can put the web planet like with all the other older episodes of Doctor Who being like, yeah, it's badly paced and not well written and <laughs> bad. But the Romans was so gratingly fucking horrible <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> I don't think you could design an episode in a lab to piss me off more than you could the Romans. <laughs> um, the Romans is everything I hate about. Everything. <laughs> and like it, it also felt like a theater episode. And keep in mind that I have a theater degree and I fucking hate most theater. <laughs> as most theater people do. Yeah, as most theater people do. But like, yeah, it was like it was like everything I hate about theater. And it also had two dead ass fucking minutes of silence. I dislike the Romans more. But yeah, I put the I put this right above that. So I put this at the very bottom because it's boring all the way through and then just kind of like assaulted me at certain points. Between the visuals and the audio. Bottom three would have to be the Romans, the Web Planet, and then probably probably an Unearthly Child. Really? You dislike an Earthly Child more than Edge of Destruction? Yeah. I have, I have, my, I have my ranking list. I, as it goes uh, further along, it's difficult for me to like, here's my complete ranking list. But uh, yeah, my bottom three. <laughs> my bottom three are the Web Planet at the very bottom, and then Reign of Terror. And then Edge of Destruction. I still think Grand Terror wasn't that bad. I kind of like Grand Terror. <laughs> my, top, my top three are Keys of Marinus, Dalek Invasion of Earth, and Aztecs. But like, Catch Me on a Different Day and Keys of Marinus and Dalek Invasion kind of like switch back and forth between first and second. Hmm. I really don't know what my top three would be. I know what my bottom three are, though. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us at QuickTripDW on Twitter. And if you'd like to just follow us in general, you can follow Mac at MacTheMa and Caleb at C-O-B underscore Clark. Uh, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the major podcast networks. Uh, if you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is just leave a five-star review and uh, share it with your friends. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time in which we listen, sorry Caleb, to the only partially missing episode in season two, The Crusade.